CD4 You look up to your knees in it, lad, said the horseholder. I'm afraid I'm not getting the hang of this horse-holding, said Victor. Ah, tis a hard trade, horse-holding, said the man. It's learning the proper grovelling and the irreverent but not too impudent cheery horse-holders banter. People don't just want you to look after the horse, see? They want a horse-holding experience. They do? They want an amusing encounter and a soup-son of repartee, said the little man. It's not just a matter of holding reins. Realisation began to dawn on Victor. It's a performance, he said. The hoss holder tapped the side of his strawberry-shaped nose. That's right, he said. Torches flared in Holywood. Victor struggled through the crowds in the main street. Every bar, every tavern, every shop had its doors thrown open. A sea of people ebbed and flowed between them. Victor tried jumping up and down to search the mob of faces. He was lonely and lost and hungry. He needed someone to talk to, and she wasn't here. Victor! He spun around. Rock bore down on him like an avalanche. Victor, my friend! A fist the size and hardness of a foundation stone pounded him playfully on the shoulder. Oh, hi, said Victor weakly. Er, how's it going, Rock? Great, great. Tomorrow we shoot bad menace of Troll Valley. No, I'm very happy for you said Victor. You're my lucky human, Rock boomed. Rock, what a name. Come and have a drink. Victor accepted. He really didn't have much of a choice because Rock gripped his arm and ploughing through the crowds like an icebreaker, half led, half dragged him towards the nearest door. A blue light illuminated a sign. Most more Porkians could read Troll. It was hardly a difficult language. The sharp runes spelled out... The Blue Leers. It was a troll bar. The smoky glow from the furnaces behind the slab counter was the only light. It illuminated three trolls playing, well, something percussive, but Victor couldn't quite make out what because the decibel level was in realms where the sound was a solid force, and it made his eyeballs vibrate. The furnace smoke hid the ceiling. What you having? roared Rock. I don't have to drink molten metal, do I? Victor quavered. He had to quaver at the top of his voice in order to be heard. "'We got all type of human drink!' shouted the female troll behind the bar. It had to be a female. There was no doubt about it. She looked slightly like the statues cavemen used to carve of fertility goddesses thousands of years ago, but mostly like a foothill. "'We're very cosmopolitan!' "'I'll have a beer, then.' "'And a flowers of sulphur on the rocks, Ruby!' added Rock. Victor took the opportunity to look around the bar, now that he was getting accustomed to the gloom and his eardrums had mercifully gone numb. He was aware of masses of trolls seated at long tables with here and there a dwarf, which was astonishing. Dwarfs and trolls normally fought like, well, dwarfs and trolls. In their native mountains there was a state of unremitting vendetta. Holywood certainly changed things. "'Can I have a quiet word?' Victor shouted in Rock's pointed ear. "'Sure!' Rock put down his drink. It contained a purple paper umbrella, which was charring in the heat. "'Have you seen Ginger? You know, Ginger. She's working at Borgles. Only in the mornings. 
I've just been there. Where does she go when she's not working? Who know where anyone go? There was a sudden silence from the combo in the smoke. One of the trolls picked up a small rock and started to pound it gently, producing a slow, sticky rhythm that clung to the walls like smoke. And from the smoke, Ruby emerged like a galleon out of the fog, with a ridiculous feather boa around her neck. It was continental drift with curves. She began to sing. The trolls stood in respectful silence. After a while, Victor heard a sob. Tears were rolling down Rock's face. "'What's the song about?' he whispered. Rock leaned down. "'It's ancient folkloric troll song,' he said. "'It's about Amber and Jasper. "'They were—' he hesitated and waved his hands about vaguely. "'Friends. Good friends.' "'I think I know what you mean,' said Victor. "'And one day Amber takes her troll's dinner down to the cave and finds him.' Rock waved his hands in vague yet thoroughly descriptive motions. With another lady troll? So she go home and get her club and come back and beat him to death? Thump, thump, thump. Cause he was her troll and he had done her wrong. It's a very romantic song. Victor stared. Ruby undulated down from the tiny stage and glided among the customers, a small mountain in a four-wheel skid. She must weigh two tons, he thought. If she sits on my knee, they'll have to roll me off the floor like a carpet. What did she just say to that troll, he said, as a deep wave of laughter rolled across the room. Rock scratched his nose. It's a play on words, he said. Very hard to translate, but basically, she said, is that... The legendary sceptre of magma, who was king of the mountain, smiter of thousands, yea, even tens of thousands, ruler of the Golden River, master of the bridges, delver in dark places, crusher of many enemies. He took a deep breath. In your pocket? Or are you just glad to see me? <laughs> Victor's forehead creased. I don't get it, he said. Perhaps are not translated properly said Rock. He took a pull of molten sulphur. I hear untied alchemists as casting for... Rock, there's something very odd about this place, said Victor urgently. Can't you feel it? What odd? Everything seems to, well, fizz. No one acts like they should. Did you know that there was a great city here once? Where the sea is? A great city? And it's just gone? Rock rubbed his nose thoughtfully. It looked like a Neanderthal man's first attempt at an axe. And there's the way everyone acts, said Victor, as if who they are and what they want are the most important things in the world. I'm wondering, Rock began. Yes, said Victor, I'm wondering would it be worth taking half an inch off my nose? My cousin Brekia knows this stonemason, fixed his ears a treat. What do you think? Victor stared dully at him. I mean, on the one hand, it's too big, but on the other hand, it's definitely your stereotyped troll nose, right? I mean, maybe I'll look better, but in this business, maybe it's best to look just as troll as you can. Like Morris had his touched up with cement. Now he got a face you wouldn't want to meet on a dark night. <laughs> what do you think? I value your opinion, because you're a human with ideas. 
He gave Victor a bright silicon smile. Eventually, Victor said, It's a great nose, Rock. With you behind it, it could go a long way. Rock gave a big grin and took another pull of sulphur. He extracted a small steel swizzle stick and sucked the amethyst off it. You really think, he began, and was then aware of the small area of empty space. Victor had gone. I don't know nothing about no one, said the horseholder, looking shiftily at the looming presence of detritus. Dibbler chewed on his cigar. It had been a bumpy journey from Ark, even in his new coach, and he'd missed lunch. Tall lad, bit dopey. Thin moustache, he said. He was working for you, right? The horseholder gave in. He'll never make a good horseholder anyway, he said. Let's his work get on top of him. I think he went to get something to eat. Victor sat in the dark alley, his back pressed against the wall, and tried to think. He remembered staying out in the sun too long once when he was a boy. The feeling he'd got afterwards was something like this. There was a soft flopping noise in the packed sand by his feet. Someone had dropped a hat in front of him. He stared at it. Then someone started playing the harmonica. They weren't very good at it. Most of the notes were wrong, and those that were right were cracked. There was a tune in there somewhere in the same way that there's a bit of beef in a hamburger grinder. Victor sighed and fumbled in his pocket for a couple of pennies. He tossed them into the hat. Yeah, yeah, he said. Very good. Now go away. He was aware of a strange smell. It was hard to place, but could perhaps have been a very old and slightly damp nursery rug. He looked up. Woof, bloody woof, said Gaspode the Wonder Dog. Borgel's commissary had decided to experiment with salads tonight. The nearest salad-growing district was thirty slow miles away. What's this? demanded a troll, holding up something limp and brown. Frontkin, the short-order chef, hazarded a guess. Celery, he said. He peered closer. Yeah, celery. It's brown. It's right, it's right. Ripe celery ought to be brown, said Frontkin quickly. Shows it's ripe, he added. It should be green. Nah, you're thinking about the tomatoes, said Frontkin. Yeah, and what's this runny stuff? said a man in the queue. Frontkin drew himself up to his full height. That, he said, is the mayonnaise. Made it to myself. Out of a book, he added proudly. Yeah, I expect you did, said the man, prodding it. Clearly oil, eggs and vinegar were not involved, right? Specialité de la maison, said Frontkin. Right. Right, said the man, only it's attacking my lettuce. Frontkin grasped his ladle angrily. Look, he began. No, it's all right, said the prospective diner. The slugs have formed a defensive ring. There was a commotion by the door. Detritus the troll waded through the diners with cut-me-own-throat Dibbler strutting along behind him. The troll shouldered the queue aside and glared at Frontkin. Mr. Dibbler want a word? he said, and reached across the counter, lifted the dwarf up by his food-encrusted shirt, and dangled him in front of Throat. "'Anyone seen Victor Tugelbend?' said Throat. "'Or that girl Ginger?' Frontkin opened his mouth to swear, and thought better of it. 
The boy was in here half an hour ago, he squeaked. Ginger works here mornings. Don't know where she goes. Where'd Victor go? said Throat. He pulled a bag out of his pocket. It jingled. Frontkin's eyes swivelled towards it as though they were ball bearings, and it was a powerful magnet. Dunno, Mr. Throat, he said. He just went out again when she wasn't there. Right, said Throat. Well, if you see him again, tell him I'm looking for him, and I'm going to make him a star. Right? Star. Right, said the dwarf. Throat reached into his money bag and produced a ten-dollar piece. And I want to order dinner for later on, he added. Dinner, right, quavered Frontkin. Steak and prawns, I think, said Throat, with a choice of sun-kissed vegetables in season, and then strawberries and cream. Frontkin stared at him. Um, he began. Detritus poked the dwarf so that he swung backwards and forwards. And I, he said, will have a, uh, a well-weathered basalt with aggregate of fresh-hewn sandstone conglomerates. Right? Uh, yes, said Frontkin. Put him down, detritus. He doesn't want to be hanging around, said Throat. And gently. He looked around at the fascinated faces. Remember, he said, I'm looking for Victor Tugelbend, and I'm going to make him a star. If anyone sees him, you must tell him. Oh, and I'll have the steak rare, Frontkin. He strode back to the door. After he had gone, the chattering flowed back like a tide. Make him a star? What do you want a star for? I didn't know you could make stars. I thought they were like, you know, stuck to the sky. I think he meant to make him a star. You know, him himself, turn him into a star. How can you make anyone into a star? I don't know. I suppose you compress them right up small and then they burst into this mass of flaming hydrogen. Good grief. Yeah. Is that troll mean or what? Victor looked at the dog carefully. It couldn't have spoken to him. It must have been his imagination. But he'd said that last time, hadn't he? I wonder what your name is, said Victor, patting it on the head. Gaspard said Gaspode. Victor's hand froze in mid-tousle. Tuppence, said the dog wearily. World's only bloody harmonica-playing dog. Tuppence. It is the sun, Victor thought. I haven't been wearing a hat. In a minute I'll wake up and there'll be cool sheets. Well, you didn't play very well. I couldn't recognise the tune, he said, stretching his mouth into a terrible grin. "'You're not supposed to recognise the bloody tune,' said Gaspode, sitting down heavily and industriously scratching one ear with his hind leg. "'I'm a dog. You're supposed to be bloody amazed I can bloody well get a squeak out of the bloody thing.' "'How shall I put it?' Victor thought. "'Do I just say, excuse me, you appear to be talking?' "'No, probably not.' "'Er,' uh, he said. "'Hey, you're quite chatty for a... Oh, no.' Fleas, said Gaspode, changing ears and legs. Give him me jip. Oh dear. And all these trolls. Can't stand them. They smell all wrong, bloody walking stones. You try and bite them next minute, you spitting teeth. It's not natural. Talking of natural, I can't help noticing that you... Bloody desert, this place, said Gaspode. You... Uh, a talking dog. 
"'I expect you're wondering,' said Gaspode, turning his penetrating stare on Victor once again. "'How come I'm talking?' "'Hadn't given it a thought,' said Victor. "'Me neither,' said Gaspode, "'until a couple of weeks ago. "'All my life never said a bloody word. "'Worked for a bloke back in the big city. "'Tricks and that, balancing a ball on me nose, "'walking on me hind legs, jumping through a hoop. "'Carried the hat round in me mouth afterwards, "'you know, show business.' Then this woman pats me on the head, says, Yo, what a dear little doggy. He looks like he understands every word we say. And I thinks, Oh, well, I don't even bother to make the effort any more, missus. And then I realises I can hear the words, and they're coming out me mouth. So I grab the hat and had it away on me paws pretty damn quick, while I was still staring. Why? said Victor. "'Exactly what life do you think a genuine talking dog is going to have?' he said. "'Shouldn't have opened my stupid mouth.' "'But you're talking to me,' said Victor. Gaspode gave him a sly look. "'Yeah, but just you try telling anyone,' he said. "'Anyway, you're all right. You've got the look. I could tell it a mile off.' "'What on earth do you mean?' said Victor. "'You don't think you really belong to yourself, right?' said the dog. You've had the feeling that something else is doing your thinking for you. Good grief. Give you a kind of hunted Luke, said Gaspode. He picked up the cap in his mouth. Tuppence, he said indistinctly. I mean, it's not as if I've got any way of spending it, but tuppence. He gave a canine shrug. What do you mean by a hunted look, said Victor? You've all got the Luke. Many a cold and fewer chosen style of thing. What look? Like you've been called here and you don't know why. Gaspode tried to scratch his ear again. Saw you acting Cone the Barbarian, he said. Oh, er, uh, what do you think of it? said Victor. I reckon so long as old Cohen never gets to hear about it, you should be okay. I said, how long ago was he in here? shouted Dibbler. On the tiny stage, Ruby was crooning something in a voice like a ship in thick fog and bad trouble. <laughs> Subtitle, Once Again I Am Falling in Love. Literally, experiencing the pleasant feeling of being hit over the head with a rock by Condrodite, the troll god of love. Note, Condrodite must not be confused with Gigalith, the troll god who gives trolls wisdom by hitting them on the head with a rock, or Silicarus, the troll god who brings trolls good fortune by hitting them on the head with a rock, or with the folk hero Monolith, who first wrested the secret of rocks from the gods. He only just went out, bellowed Rock. I'm trying to listen to the song, all right. Subtitle, Why is it now I am a blue colour? Cut me own throat nudged Detritus, who was taking the weight off his knuckles and watching the floor show with his mouth open. The old troll's life had up to now been very straightforward. People paid you money, and you hit other people. Now it was beginning to get complicated. Ruby had winked at him. Strange and unfamiliar emotions were rampaging through Detritus's battered heart. Gro <laughs> Subtitle, What is the action I should take at this time? Come on, snapped Throat. 
Detritus lumbered to his feet and took one last longing look at the stage. Subtitle, I can't help it, hire big boy. Ruby blew him a kiss. Detritus blushed the colour of fresh-cut garnet. Gaspode led the way out of the alley and through the dark hinterland of scrubby bushes and sand grass behind the town. "'There's definitely something wrong with this place,' he muttered. "'It's different,' said Victor. "'What do you mean, wrong?' Gaspode looked as though he was going to spit. "'Now, take me,' he said, ignoring the interruption. "'A dog. "'Never dreamed in my life except about chasing things. "'And sex, of course. "'Suddenly, I'm dreaming these dreams. "'In colour. "'Frighten the bloody life out of me. "'Never seen colour before, right?' Dogs see in black and white, as I expect you know, as you being a great reader. Red comes as a nasty shock, I can tell you. You think your dinner is just this white bone with shades of grey on it. Suddenly it turns out for years you've been eating this ghastly red and purple stuff. What kind of dreams, said Victor. It's bloody embarrassing, said Gaspode. Like in one there's this bridge that's been washed away, and I have to run and bark a warning, right? And there's another where this house is on fire, and I drag these kids out. And there's one where some kids are lost in these caves, and I find them, and I go and lead the search party to them. And I hate kids. Seems I can't get me head down these days without rescuing people, or saving people, or foiling robbers or something. I mean, I'm seven years old. I got hard pad, I got scurf, I got fleas, something dreadful, and I don't need to be a hero every time I go to sleep. Gosh, isn't life interesting, said Victor, when you see it from someone else's perspective. Gaspode rolled a crusted yellow eye skyward. Um, where are we going, said Victor. We're going to see a few Hollywood folk, said Gaspode, because there's something weird going on. Up on the hill... I didn't know there were any people on the hill. They ain't people, said Gaspode. A little twig fire burned on the slope of Holywood Hill. Victor had lit it because, well, it was reassuring, because it was the sort of thing humans did. He found it necessary to remember he was human and probably not crazy. It wasn't that he'd been talking to a dog. People often talked to dogs. The same applied to the cat and maybe even the rabbit. It was the conversation with the mouse and the duck that might be considered odd. "'You think we wanted to talk?' snapped the rabbit. "'One minute I'm just another rabbit and happy about it, and next minute, who's am? I'm thinking. That's a major drawback if you're looking for, for, for happiness as a rabbit. Let me tell you. You want grass and, 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 and sex, not thoughts like, what's it all about when you get right down to it?' "'Yeah, but at least you eat grass.' "'Gaspode pointed out. "'At least grass don't talk back at you.' "'You think you've got problems?' said the cat, apparently reading his mind. "'I'm reduced to eating fish. "'You put a paw on your dinner, it shouts, "'Help! You've got a major predicament.' "'There was a silence. They looked at Victor. So did the mouse. "'And the duck. The duck was looking particularly belligerent. "'It had probably heard about the orange sauce. "'Yeah.' "'Take us,' said the mouse. "'There's me being chased by this,' it indicated the cat looming over it, "'around the kitchen. Scrabble, scrabble, squeak, panic. "'Then there's this sizzling noise in my head. I see a frying pan. "'You understand? Hmm. 
A second ago, I never knew what frying was. Now I'm holding the handle. He comes around the corner. Clang! Now he's staggering around saying what hit me. I say, me? That's when we both realise. We're talking. Conceptualising, said the cat. It was a black cat with white paws, ears like shotgun targets, and the scarred face of a cat that has already lived eight lives to the full. You tell him, kid, said the mouse. Tell him what you did next, said Gaspode. We came here, said the cat. From Ark Moorpork, said Victor. Yeah. That's nearly thirty miles. Yeah, take it from me, said the cat. It's hard to hitchhike when you're a cat. See, said Gaspode, it's happening all the time. All sorts are turning up in Hollywood. They don't know why they've come, only that it's important to be here. And they don't act like they do anywhere else in the world. I've been watching. Something weird's going on. The duck quacked. There were words in there somewhere, but so mangled by the incompatibility of beak and larynx that Victor couldn't understand a word. The animals gave it a sympathetic audience. "'What's up, duck?' said the rabbit. "'The duck says,' translated Gaspode, "'that it's like a migratory thing. "'Just the same feeling as a migration,' he says. "'Yeah? I didn't have far to come.' The rabbit volunteered. We lived on the dunes anyway, it sighed. For three happy years and, and four miserable days, it added. A thought struck Victor. So you'd know about the old man on the beach, he said. Oh, him, yeah, him. <laughs> he was always coming up here. What sort of person was he, said Victor. Listen, Buster, up to four days ago I had a vocabulary consisting of two verbs and one noun. What do you think I thought he was? All I know is he didn't bother us. We probably thought he was a rock on legs or something. Victor thought about the book in his pocket, chanting and lighting fires. What sort of person did that? I don't know what's going on, he said. I'd like to find out. Look, haven't you got names? I feel awkward talking to people without names. Only me said Gaspode. Being a dog, I'm named after the famous Gaspode, you know. A kid called me Puss once, said the cat doubtfully. I thought you had names in your own language, said Victor. You know, like Mighty Paws or Speedy Hunter or something. He smiled encouragingly. The others gave him a long, blank stare. He reads books explained Gaspode. See, the thing is, he added, scratching himself vigorously, animals don't normally bother with names. I mean, we know who we are. Mind you, I like Speedy Hunter, said the mouse. I was thinking that's more a cat's name, said Victor, starting to sweat. Mice have friendly little names, like, like Squeak. Squeak, said the mouse coldly. The rabbit grinned. And, and I always thought rabbits were called Flopsy or, or Mr. Thumpy, Victor gabbled. The rabbit stopped grinning and twitched its ears. Now, 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 look, pal, it began. You know, said Gaspode cheerfully in an attempt to revive the conversation, I heard there's this legend where the first two people in the world named all the animals. Makes you think, don't it? Victor pulled out the book to cover his embarrassment chanting and lighting fires three times a day. "'This old man,' he began. "'What's so important about him?' said the rabbit. "'He just used to come up on the hill and make noises a couple of times every day. "'You could set your... your... your...' it hesitated. "'It was always the same times, many times a day.' 
Three times, three performances, like a sort of theatre, said Victor, running his finger down the page. We can't count up to three, said the rabbit sourly. It goes one, many, many times. He glared at Victor. Mr. Thumpy, it said in withering tones. And people from other places brought him fish, said Victor. There's no one else living near here. They must have come from miles away. People sailed miles just to bring him fish. It's as though he didn't want to eat fish out of the bay here. And it's teeming with them. When I went swimming, I saw lobsters you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and what did you name them? said Mr Thumpy, who wasn't the kind of rabbit that forgot a grudge. Mr Snappy? Yeah, I want this cleared up right now, squeaked the mouse. Back home I was top mouse. I could lick any other mouse in the house. I want a proper name, kid. Anyone calls me Squeaky Boots, he looked up at Victor, is asking for a head shaped like a frying pan. Do I make myself clear? The duck quacked at length. Hold it, said Gaspode. The thing is, the duck says, said Gaspode, that all this is part of the same thing. Humans and trolls and everything's coming here, animals suddenly talking. The duck says he thinks it's caused by something here. How does a duck know that? said Victor. Look, friend, said the rabbit, when you can fly all the way across the sea and even end up finding the same bloody continent, you can start bad-mouthing ducks, hmm? Oh, said Victor, you mean mysterious animal senses, yes? They glared at him. Anyway, it's got to stop, said Gaspode. All this cogitating and talking is all right for you humans. You're used to it. Thing is, see, someone's got to find out what's causing all this. They carried on glaring at him. Well, he said vaguely, maybe the book can help. The early bits are in some sort of ancient language. I can't... He paused. Wizards weren't welcomed in Holywood. It probably wasn't a good idea to mention the university or his small part in it. That is, he continued choosing his words with care, I think I know someone in Ankh-Morpork who might be able to read it. He's an animal too. An ape. How's he in the mysterious senses department? said Gaspode. He's red hot on mysterious senses, said Victor. In, in, in that case, said the rabbit. Hold it, said Gaspode. Someone's coming. A moving torch was visible coming up the hill. The duck rocketed clumsily into the air and glided away. The others disappeared into the shadows. Only the dog didn't move. Aren't you going to make yourself scarce? Victor hissed. Gaspode raised an eyebrow. Woof, he said. The torch zigzagged erratically among the scrub like a firefly. Sometimes it would stop for a moment and then wander away in some totally new direction. It was very bright. What is it? said Victor. Gaspode sniffed. Human, he said. Female. We're in cheap scent. His nose twitched again. It's called Passion's Plaything. He sniffed again. Fresh laundry, no starch, old shoes, lot of studio makeup. She's been in bogles and had. His nose twitched. Stew. Not a big plate. I suppose you can tell me how tall she is, can you? said Victor. She smells about five foot two, two and a half, hazarded Gaspard. Oh, come on. 
Walk a mile on these pills and kill me a liar. Victor kicked sand over his little fire and strolled down the slope. The light stopped moving as he approached it. For a moment he got a glimpse of a female figure clasping a shawl around her, with one hand holding the torch high above her head. Then the light vanished so quickly it left blue and purple afterimages dancing across his vision. Behind them, a small figure made a blacker shadow against the dusk. It said, What are you doing in my... What am I... Why are you... Where... And then, as if it had finally got to grips with the situation, changed gear, and in a much more familiar voice demanded, What are you doing here? Ginger, said Victor. Yes. Victor paused. What were you supposed to say in circumstances like this? Um, he said, it's, uh, nice up here in the evenings, don't you think? She glared at Gaspode. That's that horrible dog who's been hanging around the studio, isn't it? She said, I can't stand small dogs. Bark, bark, said Gaspode. Ginger stared at him. Victor could almost read her thoughts. He said, bark, bark, and he's a dog, and that's the kind of noise dogs make, isn't it? "'I'm a cat person myself,' she said vaguely. "'A low-level voice said, "'Yeah, yeah, washing your own spit, do you?' "'What was that?' "'Victor backed away, waving his hands frantically. "'Don't look at me,' he said. "'I didn't say it.' "'Oh, I suppose it was the dog, was it?' she demanded. "'Oh, me,' said Gaspode. Ginger froze. Her eyes swivelled around and down to where Gaspode was idly scratching an ear. "'Woof,' he said. "'That dog spoke,' Ginger began, pointing a shaking finger at him. "'I know,' said Victor. "'That means he likes you.' He looked past her. Another light was coming up the hill. "'Did you bring someone with you?' he said. "'Me?' Ginger turned round. Now the light was accompanied by a cracking of dry twigs, and Dibbler stepped out of the dusk, with detritus trailing behind like a particularly scary shadow. Aha! he said. The lovebirds surprised, eh? Victor gaped at him. The what? he said. The what? said Ginger. Been looking all over for you two, said Dibbler. Someone said he'd seen you come up here. Very romantic. Could do something with that. Look good on the posters, right? He draped his arms around them. Come on, he said. What for? said Victor. We're shooting first thing in the morning, said Dibbler. But Mr Silverfish said I wasn't going to work in this town again, Victor began. Dibbler opened his mouth and hesitated just for a moment. Ah, yes, but I'm going to give you another chance, he said, speaking quite slowly for once. Yeah. A chance, like your young people, headstrong, young once myself. Dibbler, I thought, even if it means cutting your own throat, give them a chance. Lower wages, of course, a dollar a day. How about that? Victor saw the look of sudden hope on Ginger's face. He opened his mouth. Fifteen dollars, said a voice. It wasn't his. He shut his mouth. What? said Dibbler. Victor opened his mouth. Fifteen dollars, renegotiable after a week, fifteen dollars or nothing. Victor shut his mouth, his eyes rolling. 
Dibbler waved a finger under his nose and then hesitated. I like it, he said eventually. Tough bargainer. <laughs> OK, three dollars. Fifteen. Five's my last offer, kid. There's thousands of people down there who jump at it, right? Name two, Mr Dibbler. Dibbler glanced at Detritus, who was lost in a reverie concerning Ruby, and then stared at Ginger. OK, he said. Ten because I like you, but it's cutting my own throat. Done. Throat held out a hand. Victor stared at his own as if he was seeing it for the first time and then shook. And now let's go back down, said Dibbler. Lot to organise. He strode off through the trees. Victor and Ginger followed meekly behind him in a state of shock. Are you crazy? Ginger hissed. Holding out like that? We could have lost our chance. I didn't say anything. I thought it was you, said Victor. It was you, said Ginger. Their eyes met. They looked down. Bark, bark, said Gaspode the Wonder Dog. Dibbler turned round. What's that noise? he said. Oh, it's just this dog we found, said Victor hurriedly. He's called Gaspode, after the famous Gaspode, you know. He does tricks, said Ginger malevolently. A performing dog, Dibbler reached down and patted Gaspode's bullet head. Growl, growl. You'd be amazed the things he can do, said Victor. Amazed, echoed Ginger. Ugly devil, though, said Dibbler. He gave Gaspode a long, slow stare, which was like challenging a centipede to an ass-kicking contest. Gaspode could outstare a mirror. Dibbler seemed to be turning an idea over in his mind. Mind you, bring him along in the morning. People like a good laugh, said Dibbler. Oh, he's a laugh, all right, said Victor. A scream. As they walked off, Victor heard a quiet voice behind him say, I'll get you for that. Anywhere you owe me a dollar. What for? Agent's fee, said Gaspode the Wonder Dog. Over Holywood, the stars were out. They were huge balls of hydrogen, heated to millions of degrees, so hot they could not even burn. Many of them would swell enormously before they died, and then shrink to tiny, resentful dwarfs remembered only by sentimental astronomers. In the meantime, they glowed because of metamorphoses beyond the reach of alchemists, and turned mere boring elements into pure light. Over Ankh Morpork, it just rained. The senior wizards crowded around the elephant vase. It had been put back in the corridor on Ridcully's strict orders. I remember Rictor, said the dean. Skinny man. Bit of one-track mind, but clever. I remember his mouse counter, said Windlepoons from his ancient wheelchair. Used to count mice. The pot itself is quite... The bursar began and then said, What do you mean, count mice? They were fed into it on a little belt or something. No, no, you just wound it up, you see, and it sat there whirring away, counting all the mice in the building. And these little wheels with numbers on them came up. Why? I, I suppose he just wanted to count mice. The bursar shrugged. This pot 
he said, peering closely, is actually quite an old Ming vase. He waited expectantly. Why is it called Ming? said the Arch-Chancellor, on cue. The bursar tapped the pot. It went, Ming! And they spit lead balls at people, do they? said Ridcully. No, Master. He just used it to put the, the machinery in, whatever it is, whatever it's doing. Whum, whum. Hold on, it wobbled, said the Dean. Whum, whum, whum. The wizards stared at one another in sudden panic. Uh, what's, what's happening? Uh, what's happening? said Windlepoons. Why won't anyone tell me what's happening? Whum, whum, whum. Run, suggested the dean. Which way? quavered the bursar. Whum, whum. I'm an old man and I demand someone tell me what's happening. Silence. Duck! shouted the Arch-Chancellor. A splinter of stone was knocked off the pillar behind him. He raised his head. Begods, that was a damn lucky escape. The second pellet knocked the tip off his hat. The wizards lay trembling on the flagstones for several minutes. After a while, the dean's muffled voice. Was that all, do you think? The arch-chancellor raised his head. His face, always red, was now incandescent. Bertha! Master! That's what I call shooting! Victor turned over. He said. It's six a.m. Rise and shine, Mr. Dibbler says, said Detritus, grasping the bedclothes in one hand and dragging them onto the floor. Six o'clock? That's night time, groaned Victor. It's going to be a long day, Mr. Dibbler says, said the troll. Mr. Dibbler says you've got to be on set by half past six. This is going to happen. Victor pulled on his trousers. I suppose I get to eat breakfast, he said sarcastically. Mr. Dibbler is having food laid on, Mr. Dibbler says, said Detritus. There was a wheezing noise from under the bed. Gaspode emerged in a cloud of old rugness and had an early morning scratch. What they... he began, and then saw the troll. Bark, bark, he corrected himself. Oh, a little dog. I like little dogs, said Detritus. Woof. Roar, the troll added, but he couldn't get the right amount of statutory nastiness into his voice. Visions of ruby in her feather boa and three acres of red velvet kept undulating across his mind. Gaspode scratched his ear vigorously. Woof, he said quietly. In tones of low menace, he added, after Detritus had gone. The slope of the hill was already alive with people when Victor arrived. A couple of tents had been erected. Someone was holding a camel. Several cages of demons gibbered in the shade of a thorn tree. In the middle of all this were Dibbler and Silverfish arguing. Dibbler had his arm around Silverfish's shoulder. A dead giveaway is that, said a voice from the level of Victor's knees. It means some poor bugger is about to be taken to the cleaners. It'll be a step up for you, Tom, 
Dibbler was saying. I mean, how many people in Holywood can call themselves Vice President in Charge of Executive Affairs? Yes, but it, it, it's my company, Silverfish wailed. Right, right, said Dibbler. That's what a name like Vice President of Executive Affairs means. It does? Have I ever lied to you? Silverfish's brow furrowed. Well, he said, yesterday you said... I mean metaphorically, said Dibbler quickly. Oh, well, metaphorically I suppose not. There you are then. Now, where's that artist? Dibbler spun around, giving the impression that Silverfish had just been switched off. A man scurried up with a folder under his arms. Yes, sir, Mr Dibbler? Throat pulled a scrap of paper out of his pocket. I want the posters ready by tonight. Understand, he warned. Here, this is the name of the click. Shadowy of the Desert, the artist read. His brow furrowed. He had been educated beyond the needs of Holywood. It's about food, he said. But Dibbler wasn't listening. He was advancing on Victor. Victor, he said. Baby! He's got him, said Gaspode quietly. Got him worse than anyone, I reckon. What has? How can you tell? Victor hissed. Partly because of subtle signs what you don't seem to be able to recognise, said Gaspode, and partly because he's acting like a complete twerp, really. Great to see you, Dibbler enthused, his eyes glowing manically. He put his arm around Victor's shoulder and half walked, half dragged him towards the tents. This is going to be a great picture, he said. Oh, good, said Victor weakly. You play this bandit chieftain, said Dibbler. Only a nice guy too, kind to women and so forth, and you raid this village and you carry off this slave girl. Only when you look into her eyes, see, you fall for her. And then there's this raid and hundreds of men on elephants come charging. Camels? said a skinny youth behind Dibbler. It's, uh, it's camels. I ordered elephants. You got camels. Camels, elephants, said Dibbler dismissively. We're talking exotic here, OK? And, and we've only got one, said the youth. One what? Camel. We could only find one camel, said the youth. But I've got dozens of guys with bedsheets on the red waiting for camels, shouted Dibbler, waving his hands in the air. Lots of camels, right? We've only got one camel because there's only one camel in Holywood and that's only because a guy from Clatch rode all the way here on it, said the youth. You should have sent away for more, snapped Dibbler. Mr Silverfish said I wasn't to. Dibbler growled. Maybe if it moves around a lot, it'll look like more than one camel, said the youth optimistically. Why not ride the camel past the picture box and then get the handleman to stop the demons and lead it back and put a different rider on it, then start up the box again and ride it past again, said Victor. Would that work? Dibbler looked at him open-mouthed. What did I tell you? he said to the sky in general. The lad is a genius. That way we can get a hundred camels for the price of one, right? It means the desert bandits ride in single file, though, said the youth. It's not like, you know, a master tack. 
Chill, sure, said Dibbler dismissively. Makes sense. We just put a card up where the leader says, uh, he says, uh, he thought for a second. He says, follow me in single file, Buanas, to fool the hated enemy, OK? He nodded at Victor. Have you met my nephew, Sol? He said. Keen lad. Been nearly to school and everything. Brought him out here yesterday. He's vice president in charge of making pictures. Sol and Victor exchanged nods. I don't think Buanas is the right word, Uncle, said Sol. It's Clatchian, isn't it? said Dibbler. Well, technically, but I think it's the wrong part of Clatchian. Maybe Effendies or something. Just so long as he's foreign, said Dibbler, with an air that suggested the matter was settled. He patted Victor on the back again. OK, kid. <laughs> Get into costume, he chuckled. A hundred camels. Oh, what a mind! "'Excuse me, Mr Dibbler,' said the poster artist, who had been hovering uneasily. "'I don't understand this bit here.' Dibbler snatched the paper from him. "'Which bit?' he snapped. "'Where you're describing Mr Sin.' "'It's obvious,' said Dibbler. "'What we want here is to conjure up the exotic, alluring, yet distant romance of pyramid-studded clatch, right? "'So naturally—' We've got to use the symbol of a mysterious and unscrutable continent, see? Do I have to explain everything to everyone all the time? It's just that I thought, the artist began, Just do it! The artist looked down at the paper. She has the face, he read, of a spink. Right, said Dibbler, right! I thought maybe sphinx. "'Will you listen to the man?' said Dibbler, talking to the sky again. He glared at the artist. "'She doesn't look like two of them, does she? "'One spink, two spinks, then just, just, just get on with it! "'I want those posters all round the city first thing tomorrow.' The artist gave Victor an agonised look he was coming to recognise. Everyone around Dibbler wore them after a while. "'Right you are, Mr Dibbler,' he said. "'Right!' Dibbler turned to Victor. "'Why aren't you changed?' he said. Victor ducked quickly into a tent. A little old lady, shaped like a cottage loaf, helped him into a costume apparently made of sheets inexpertly dyed black, although given the current state of accommodation in Holywood, they were probably just sheets taken off a bed at random. Mrs Marietta Cosmopolite, former Ankh Morpork seamstress, until her dreams led her to Holywood, where she found her skill with a needle was highly prized. Once a darner of casual socks, now a knitter of fake chainmail for trolls, and able to run up a pair of harem trousers in a trice. Then she handed him a curved sword. Why is it bent? he said. I think it's meant to be, dear, she said doubtfully. I thought swords had to be straight, said Victor. Outside he could hear Dibbler asking the sky why everyone was so stupid. Perhaps they start out straight and go bendy with use, said the old lady, patting him on the hand. A lot of things do. She gave him a bright smile. If you're all right, dear, I'd better go and help the young lady in case any little dwarfs is peering in at her. She waddled out of the tent. From the tent next door came a metallic clinking noise and the sound of Ginger's voice raised in complaint. Victor made a few experimental slashes with the sword. Gaspode watched him with his head on one side. What are you supposed to be? he said at last. A leader of a pack of desert bandits, apparently, said Victor. 
romantic and dashing. Dashing where? Just dashing generally, I guess. Gaspode, what did you mean when you said it's got Dibbler? The dog gnawed at a paw. Look at his eyes, he said. They're even worse than yours. Mine? What's wrong with mine? Detritus the Troll stuck his head through the tent flaps. Mr Dibbler says he wants you now, he said. Eyes, said Victor. Something about my eyes. Woof. Mr Dibbler says, Detritus began. All right, all right, I'm coming. Victor stepped out of his tent at the same time as Ginger stepped out of hers. He shut his eyes. Gosh, I'm sorry, he babbled. I'll go back and wait for you to get dressed. I am dressed. Mr. Dibbler says, said Detritus behind him. Come on, said Ginger, grabbing his arm. We mustn't keep everyone waiting. But you're, uh, you're, um, Victor looked down, which wasn't a help. You've got a navel in your diamond, he hazarded. I've come to terms with that, said Ginger, flexing her shoulders in an effort to make everything settle. It's these two saucepan lids that are giving me problems. Makes you realise what those poor girls in the harems must suffer. And you don't mind people seeing you like that, said Victor, amazed. Why should I? This is moving pictures. It's not as if it's real. Anyway, you'd be amazed at what girls have to do for a lot less than ten dollars a day. Nine, said Gaspode, who was still trailing at Victor's heels. Right. "'Get around, people!' shouted Dibbler through a megaphone. "'Sons of the desert, over there, please. Uh, "'The slave girl, Where are the slave girls? "'Right. Handlemen!' "'I've never seen so many people in a clique,' Ginger whispered. "'It must be costing more than a hundred dollars.' "'Victor eyed the sons of the desert. "'It looked as though Dibbler had dropped in at Borgles "'and hired the twenty people nearest the door, "'irrespective of their appropriateness, "'and had given them each Dibbler's idea of a desert bandit headdress.' There were trollish sons of the desert. Rock recognised him and gave him a little wave. Dwarf sons of the desert, and shuffling into the end of the line a small, hairy, and furiously scratching son in a headdress that reached down to his paws. Grab her, become entranced by her beauty, and then throw her over your pommel. Dibbler's voice intruded into his consciousness. Victor desperately re-ran the half-heard instructions past his mind. "'My what?' he said. "'It's part of your saddle,' Ginger hissed. "'Oh. "'And then you ride into the night with all the sons following you "'and singing rousing desert bandit songs.' "'No one'll hear them,' said Sol helpfully. "'But if they open and shut their mouths, it'll help create a, a, you know, ambience.' "'But it isn't the night,' said Ginger. "'It's broad daylight.' "'Dibbler stared at her. "'His mouth opened once or twice.' "'Soul!' he shouted. "'We can't film at night, Uncle,' said the nephew hurriedly. "'The demons wouldn't be able to see. "'I don't see why we can't put up a card saying night-time at the start of the scene, "'so that that's not the magic of moving pictures,' snapped Dibbler. "'That's just messing about.' "'Excuse me,' said Victor. "'Excuse me, but surely it doesn't matter, "'because surely the demons can paint the sky black with stars on it.' "'There was a moment's silence.' Then Dibbler looked at Gaffer. Can they? he said. Nah, said the handleman. It's bloody hard enough to make sure they paint what they do see, never mind what they don't. Dibbler rubbed his nose. I might be prepared to negotiate, he said. 
The handleman shrugged. You don't understand, Mr. Dibbler. What they want money for, they don't really eat it. We start telling that the paint what isn't there, we're in all sorts of... Perhaps it's just a very bright full moon, said Ginger. That's good thinking, said Dibbler. We'll do a card where Victor says to Ginger something like, How bright the moon is tonight, Buana. Well, something like that, said Sol, diplomatically. It was noon. Holywood Hill glistened under the sun like a champagne-flavoured wine gum that had been half-sucked. The handlemen turned their handles, the extras charged enthusiastically backwards and forwards, Dibbler raged at everyone, and cinematographic history was made with a shot of three dwarfs, four men, two trolls and a dog, all riding one camel and screaming in terror for it to stop. Victor was introduced to the camel. It blinked its long eyelashes at him and appeared to chew soap. It was kneeling down, and it looked like a camel that had had a long morning and wasn't about to take any shit from anyone. So far it had kicked three people. Uh, what's it called? he said cautiously. We call it evil-minded son of a bitch, said the newly appointed vice-president in charge of camels. That doesn't sound like a name. It's a good name for this camel, said the handler fervently. "'There's nothing wrong with being a son of a bitch,' said a voice behind him. "'I'm a son of a bitch. My father was a son of a bitch, you greasy nightshirt-wearing bastard.' The handler grinned nervously at Victor and turned around. There was no one behind him. He looked down. "'Woof,' said Gaspode, and wagged what was almost a tail. "'Did you hear someone say something?' said the handler carefully. "'No,' said Victor. He leaned close to one of the camel's ears and whispered in case it was a special Holywood camel. "'Look.' I'm a friend, okay? Evil-minded son of a bitch flicked a carpet-thick ear. Camels are far too intelligent to admit to being intelligent. How'd you ride it? he said. When you want to go forward, you swear at it and hit it with a stick, and when you want to stop, you swear at it and really hit it with a stick. What happens if you want it to turn? Ah, well, you're on to advanced manual there. Best thing to do is get off and do it round by hand. When you're ready, Dibbler bellowed through his megaphone. Now, you ride up to the tent, leap off the camel, fight the huge eunuchs, burst into the tent, drag the girl out, get back on the camel and away. Got it? Think you can do that? What huge eunuchs, said Victor, as the camel unfolded itself upwards. One of the huge eunuchs shyly raised his hand. It's me, Maury, it said. Oh, hi, Maury. Hi, Vic. And me, Rock, said a second huge eunuch. Hi, Rock. Hi, Vic. Places, everyone, said Dibbler. We all, well, what is it, Rock? Uh, I was just wondering, Mr. Dibbler, what is my motivation for this scene? Motivation? Yes, uh, I got to know, see, said Rock. How about I'll fire you if you don't do it properly? Rock grinned. Right you are, Mr Dibbler, he said. OK, said Dibbler. Everyone ready. Turn em. Evil-minded son of a bitch turned awkwardly, legs flailing at odd camel angles, and then lumbered into a complicated trot. The handle turned, the air glittered, and Victor awoke. It was like rising slowly out of a pink cloud or a magnificent dream which, try as you might, drains out of your mind as the daylight shuffles in, leaving a terrible sense of loss. 
Nothing you know instinctively, nothing you're going to experience for the rest of the day is going to be one half as good as that dream. He blinked. The images faded away. He was aware of an ache in his muscles, as if he'd recently been really exerting himself. What happened? he mumbled. He looked down. Wow, he said. An expanse of barely clad buttock occupied a view recently occupied by the camel's neck. It was an improvement. End of CD 4